This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture and Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into a brand new edition of the BearCast on Sikkim 365 Radio, Sikkim365.com. And no, we are not coming to you right from outside a fighter jet. Uh, we are not inside the theater watching Top Gun as we record this, but uh, construction continues on the corner of MLK and Elm right outside the door, literally like two feet out the door. They've got jackhammers going, and I'm not sure how it comes across over the radio, but... Uh, my voice sounds like it's shaking during this, then you understand why, because it's pretty loud. But Craig Smoke with you as always, joined as always by Grayson Grundhafer. We got uh, Garrett and Jack behind the scenes as well, and uh, a lot going on right now in Baylor Athletics, even though the semester continues to wind down. And Grayson, how are we doing this week? Hopefully you can hear me. Yeah, it's going good. And honestly, it's better than when we were in the uh, container getting rained on and, you know, hearing all the rain come in and then it's in the studio and we're trying to record while, you know, it's flooding in there. And so I'm okay with it. You know, it's a little loud. Hopefully everyone can hear us okay. But yeah, I I think this is a uh, intriguing week and a week that actually has a lot of talking points, which as we go through the summer, you know, sometimes we don't get to talk about a whole lot, but for some reason, oftentimes things just kind of pop up. And this week that definitely happened. Some decisions were made. um, And overall, it ended up being a very entertaining and interesting week for Baylor sports. And I would say that for most programs, I think they're better than they were a week ago. Yeah, well, uh, for one program, there's a big change afoot. As uh, we learned over the weekend uh, on Sunday, or actually on Memorial Day Monday, uh, which hopefully everybody had a good extra day uh, if you had an extra day off. Uh, but we learned that Steve Rodriguez's time at Baylor has come to an end. Uh, stepping down was going to be fired uh, if that weren't the case. I think that's pretty obvious at this stage. They went 0-2 in the Big 12 tournament after eking out a spot in the uh, eight seed. Uh, and they needed to win a game, and they won a game, and it fell their way, and they got into the tournament but then proceeded to go 0-2, losing to TCU and Oklahoma State. And that was all she wrote. That was uh, the end of the Baylor baseball season, not with a bang, but with a whimper. And uh, just the way things have kind of gone all year, we knew that something was going to have to to break one way or the other for Baylor baseball moving forward. And, well, the break is is that Steve Rodriguez, I guess, saw the writing on the wall as well and went ahead and, you know, announced it, or I guess told Baylor that he would be stepping down. So I guess that saves everybody the trouble of the exit interviews and then trying to figure out what they wanted to do, how to get it turned around for next year. Instead of trying to turn it around, they're going to basically start anew uh, with a new coach. Uh, there's already you know names that are being thrown around by people, but again, it's been you know just now about 24 hours since the news broke. So I don't think you know the the search is going to be wrapping up you know in the next couple of days. So we'll have plenty of time to talk about candidates and. I'm sure there's some people we're not thinking of if it's a typical Macroads interview, but um, I mean, it is what it is for baseball. Uh, about a 500 season just throughout. They just hung around 500, got into Big 12 play, lost some series they should have won. Oklahoma comes to mind as one that they should have, uh, you know, been able to to take. But instead, you know, whether it was 
pitching or it was injuries or what have you. Uh, it just wasn't working for Baylor baseball. And uh, after several seasons now at the helm, Steve Rodriguez is off to his next great adventure. And uh, Mac Rhodes has a baseball coach to hire. Yeah, he's got a decision to make. And, I mean, if there's one thing I trust, it's Mac Rhodes getting a coaching search decision right. Like, I have the utmost confidence in what he's going to do. He's going to find a really good coach who's going to help bring this program back. But I do want to take a minute and kind of talk a little bit about Steve Rodriguez for a second, his career at Baylor, because he did have to come into a situation where the recruiting kind of barrel was not good for Baylor, and he had to turn things around. He did that in pretty quick fashion. And by the time 2017 rolled around, you know, they were a competitive program. They made a regional. They had a really nice season, had a really competitive RPI inside the top 20 that year. And then in 2018, they were very good again. 2019 was going to be their best team, it seemed like, and just things unraveled. And during those three years is where, for me, they had three really good teams and could never get out of a regional. And that was really hard to watch. You know, they had opportunities. They had good enough teams to do it. Uh, but it just didn't happen happen in postseason play. And it felt like down the stretches of many of those seasons, uh, things just did not shake their way. Injuries were a problem, and I understand all of that. Now, 2020 rolls around, and I really feel like that was going to be a pretty good team. They were 10-6, and six, had just come off of the Shriners Hospital Classic in which they beat Missouri, LSU, and Arkansas, three top 25 teams in a row that weekend, uh, came out, beat Cal Poly in a series, and were about to take on Grand Canyon, and the season got canceled. And I felt like from that moment on, they just could not replenish the talent. They could not get to the point where they were healthy enough to compete consistently. And then these past two years happened. And um, it's just really unfortunate. Uh, it felt like things were all kind of trending there for Baylor to really be a juggernaut and really be a team that could make it to a super regional every year. Um, but things didn't shake that way. His postseason problems were well-known and well-documented, and uh, now you're at a point where you miss postseason two years in a row, and it's hard to come back from that. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, I've been saying the phrase, they, they had no juice. I've been saying that over and over again now for, for several weeks, and I think that was more apparent than ever there at the end. Um, I mean, just a team with no gas left in the tank and just not a lot of fight left in them. And uh, unfortunate to see the season end, you know, just kind of – Oh, it's over. Uh, you know, like almost unnoticeable in a way for for many out there. Uh, but now it's on to a, a coaching search. So I know the the easy name to throw out there, and it's been thrown out there a million times already. Is Mitch Thompson at MCC? You know, formerly on the Baylor staff. Kid goes to Baylor. A lot of success at the junior college level. I don't think it's quite as simple as that. Uh, his name's been thrown out there, and. I haven't really taken a lot of time to dig too much into to who else would be a potentially a candidate, but we've got time for that. I don't expect this to be a, you know, by next week we're talking about the brand new baseball coach, but anything on your end in terms of the, the coaching uh, position and anybody that you have in mind? I just don't think it's going to be an obvious name. I really don't. I, I, it has never been as simple as, oh, the first name leaked is the guy who it's going to be. And a lot of people have talked about Mitch Thompson. But again, I feel like, at least in my opinion, that's more of 
Baylor fans wanting him to come to Baylor, you know what I mean, and be back at Baylor and be a guy who um, kind of continues this trajectory of bringing in coaches like that. And honestly, I think it's really funny because Steve Rodriguez was not even close to being a name that was mentioned often for the Baylor job the first time around. And just Mac Rhodes' track record tells me that it's not going to be an obvious choice. It's going to be a guy that's kind of uh, Mac thinking outside the box, going and finding the right culture fit, which Steve Rodriguez was. And I think he's going to be able to do that. And as far as names go, you know, I, I like Dan Hefner, the uh, coach at Dallas Baptist. He's kind of the guy who uh, they've been really good, really consistent. He would make a lot of sense. But again, I think he's probably far too obvious as well, much like Mitch Thompson. And so, I again, I think it's going to be someone that no one's talking about currently um, that Mac Rhodes goes out and hire. But one thing I can tell you is the way Mac Rhodes goes through coaching searches I have a ton of faith that he's going to get this right because he's gotten it right every single time up to this point. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, it, uh, you know, I was thinking of the coaches that he's hired and whatnot, and it's been pretty solid, um, you know, and there's still, you know, some hang uh, holdovers from the previous era as well uh, that were hired, and Steve Rodriguez was one of those, but now Mac Rhodes will have more of a, an imprint on this uh, athletic department, hiring his first baseball coach. So he's hired a women's basketball coach. He's hired a track coach. He's hired a couple football coaches, so on and so forth. And uh, now, you know, men's tennis he hired, and I'm sure I'm missing one or two. But, uh, yeah, now it's time for a baseball coach. So uh, we've certainly got used to searches around here, and, and we'll see how different this one is from, you know, replacing a women's basketball coach or a football coach, I guess. Uh, but, you know, I, I felt like it was time. I uh, just – it just, I, I don't know what, I don't know how you could have come back and ran it back last year, even if you'd have said, like, oh, we've gone in the transfer portal and we've upped the pitching and we've changed the way that we do our throwing programs or like there was just nothing that was going to, I think, flip the opinion or uh, energize what is kind of a very flatline fan base at this moment. Uh, if you had brought Steve Rodriguez back, it just, there's nothing I think you could have said that would have been like, you know what? Yeah, let's get into it. One more run. Let's go see. I, I just, I think everybody was just, even Steve Rodriguez was just kind of like, yeah, this is the end here. Yeah. And I also feel like if you brought him back for next year, it'd be constantly, every time he lost, fire him. You know, why is he still here? And I just don't think that's a good environment nor a conducive environment, especially during a baseball season that always has ebbs and flows. It's, there's a lot of highs, a lot of lows you got to be able to mellow those out and have a fan base that's supportive of that. And I, I overall think he lost the fan base. And I think when you lose the fan base, it's really hard to get that back. Um, and I think everyone, everyone that I talked to was pretty much ready to kind of move on. And it seems like Steve Rodriguez was as well. Yeah, uh, anything as far as just the things you're looking for in a new head coach? Yeah, you know, I think for me, a big thing, and I, I don't even know if this is controllable, um, but they need to figure out the strength and conditioning staff because this this team has been marred by injuries too many times. And I, I think that it's hard to blame a specific person, but what I can tell you is, you know, Vic Valoria on the football side did a great job, you know, his first year. And I do think that when you have a specific strength and conditioning program that um, really focuses on certain things, especially keeping pitchers healthy, um, I think that's there's a lot of set up for success. And I, I think that's one thing that the next coach has to bring with him is an elite strength and conditioning staff to make sure that these guys stay healthy because the baseball season is grinding, it's grueling. And for pitchers, when you lose one of your star pitchers, it's really hard to rebound from that as we've seen with this Baylor program. So I want that. 
also just honestly would like a guy who's going to come in and really focus on making baseball fun again at Baylor, you know, making the environment fun, creating some juice and, and really going out and being active on social media, being uh, a face of the, of this, you know, so-called franchise in this program. And I I just think it's one of those must haves with this new hires to bring excitement and also basically show up and say, Hey, you know, Baylor, hey, Mac Rhodes, this is why we need more facilities. This is why we need X, Y, and Z. And you do that by winning, but also being a guy that everyone in the fan base loves, the players love. And so I'm hoping they bring a guy with that kind of energy as well. Yeah, I still remember driving back from like a radio remote uh, and hearing Steve Rodriguez on what was Smokey and Paul's show back then, uh, doing his very first interview after Ian McCaw had hired him and it does kind of seem like a long time ago, but it's also kind of weird to now look up, snap your fingers, and, you know, Steve Rodriguez is on his way out. That's just how, how life just passes you by. So uh, that's who I've pretty much known as the head coach for a majority of the time that I've, I've been around Waco, which is quite a while now. And I think initially there was a little bit of buzz, but you're right. Like, you look around at Oklahoma winning the Big 12 tournament or, or even, you know, Texas, even though it's not been quite the year that they thought because – They've had injuries or, or whatever. Uh, Oklahoma State, TCU. TCU with a first-year head coach. Yeah, I mean. Replacing a legend. They're all having fun, yeah. and uh, they're all playing in big big games, and there's big crowds, and, you know, there's excitement. And that hasn't been the case around here for a while. So I, I think you're dead on with whoever comes in needs to really create some more excitement because Baylor fans have proven that they love baseball in the past, and uh, they'll support baseball. But you got to give them a reason to, and I don't think that reason was there uh, you know, the last year or so. So, uh, yeah, uh, Steve Rodriguez uh, out as Baylor baseball coach, and the search begins to find his replacement. So we will have all of that discussion and scuttlebutt. Um, there's multiple threads where you can go and talk with other Baylor baseball fans about his departure uh, and about the decision and about who might be the next guy. Uh, you can check that out over the premium boards over on Sikkim365.com. And, of course, we'll be talking about it on all the different podcasts and radio shows as well uh, as it, um, you know, as info drops or as uh, news breaks or what have you. Uh, elsewhere in basketball, a lot of news last week. Uh, Adam Flagler, let's start there. Uh, after testing the NBA draft waters uh, and going through the process of just trying to see what pro scouts think of his game and where he kind of fits in at the next level, uh, because of the rules that were passed uh, years ago, uh, you are able to do that and uh, even hire an agent and not, you know, have to worry about never being allowed back in college again. So Adam Flagler took advantage of that opportunity, uh, like Matthew Meyer has done the last couple of years, and um, went and put his toes in the water and found out that, you know, it's just not quite right just yet. And he announces last week that he is coming back to college basketball. And unlike Matthew Meyer, uh, he's not entering the transfer portal. He's coming back to be a Baylor Bear once again and close out his career uh, this was a piece that I think most people expected back, um, but at the same time, you just never know when they're out there, and you never know what they're being told or what they might be thinking. So even though this was kind of assumed to be the move, uh, you never know until it actually happens. And now Adam Flagler officially back in the fold, and uh, the dust settling now for this Baylor men's basketball roster. Yeah, and Baylor has their starting point guard for next year. That's He's going to play point guard. I know some people have concerns and doubts about what Adam Flagler is going to do, but make no mistake about it. 
this guy should be the preseason favorite to be uh, all-conference and all-conference guard, maybe even uh, the player of the year in the conference. He's going to come in and be an elite point guard. I think he'll be the best point guard in the Big 12 next year. Um, and I think you're going to see a more dynamic offensive lineup when you have him and LJ Cryer and Keontae George. And then off your bench, you got Dale Bonner and uh, Langston Love at the wing. You also got Caleb Lohner and Jalen Bridges and, of course, Flo Thamba down low. But a whole lot of shooting and ability to spread the floor. And I think many people watch Adam Flagler last year and they said, man, he's not a point guard. You know, when James Akinjo is not on the court, they don't have a point guard. But I think late in the year, he sneakily got a lot better at the point guard position as he got healthier. And I really think he's going to be elite at that position. And the big things I tweet about this were kind of just talking about the fact that they're going to have three guys who are going to shoot 40% from three with Flagler, Cryer, and uh, Keontae. You got Jalen Bridges, who I do think can be a you know 38% to 40% three-point shooter as well. Um, you got guys off the bench who can shoot, but they're going to create so much spacing, and that's really going to help Adam Flagler out in the pick-and-roll game. Um, and I think you're going to see a guy that takes huge steps uh, as far as ball handling and in the passing game as well. I, I think... He's going to be terrific. I think LJ Cryer will be the backup point guard, even though he'll be starting. It'll be very similar to Davion Mitchell and Jared Butler, how they kind of took turns as the point guard when one wasn't on the court. So I see big things coming for Adam Flagler, and I wanted to point out these three numbers just because, again, people have this misconception that Adam Flagler can't play point guard, and it's absolutely ridiculous. So Tweety Carter, first three years at Baylor, he averaged three assists per game. His final year at Baylor, 5.9 assists. Davion Mitchell, 3.8 assists his first year, 5.5 his second year. Jared Butler, 2.9 assists his first two years to 4.8 his final year. Adam Flagler will be right around four and a half, five assists a game this year. Uh, go ahead and bookmark that and just kind of check mark it because he is going to be much improved passing the ball and taking care of the ball. He's going to be great for Baylor next year. Yeah, so uh, big time return, uh, to say the least, for Baylor basketball and sets up the team nicely for next season. Um, again, not unexpected. Uh, just There wasn't a lot of buzz with him in the draft necessarily, but uh, he got his grades and he got his reviews, and now he knows what he needs to come back and work on. So he'll have that little extra chip and also, you know, hey, wanting to close it out strong with, with Baylor basketball. So exciting times for uh, men's hoops. And on the flip side, uh, Matthew Meyer, his decision coming down last week. And thankfully, we don't have to watch him play in the Big 12. That was a little bit of a worry, just really an annoyance more than a worry uh, of, you know, having to tune in and see him in, like, Texas Tech gear next year. Just, uh, I don't know, man. I mean, I understand, like, West Virginia is going to watch Jalen Bridges in green and gold and be like, man, that's weird. But uh, I'm, I'm thankful we don't have to watch Matthew Meyer out in Lubbock playing with uh, Mark Adams or – even in Lawrence, Kansas, for that matter, or wherever else he could have potentially gone. Uh, instead, if we see him, uh, it'll be you know pretty random because he's going up to the Big Ten. He's going to go play for Brad Underwood and the Illinois Fighting Illini, uh, joining Dane Danger up there, a former Baylor player as well. But uh, there had been some smoke with Illinois on Twitter, and I'd seen some of that, but it really felt like um, and this is why, you know, they call Twitter a funhouse mirror sometimes because it's not always indicative of reality or uh, maybe reality gets a little bit bent just because you see a lot of something doesn't mean that's really what everybody's thinking or what everybody's leaning towards. 
Um, there's fan bases that have big voices. North Carolina certainly one of those, and I'm sure he considered North Carolina – uh, pretty heavily, uh, but you would have thought it was a slam dunk that he was heading to Chapel Hill if you just went off of, like, Tar Heel Twitter. Um, Illinois, though, had some quiet confidence about them, and in the end, he does pick Illinois, which was kind of a surprise because I just bought into the UNC hype, uh, but he's heading to the Big Ten. Your thoughts on Matthew Meyer's decision? Yeah, I, I think a lot of people did think North Carolina, but I had heard a lot of smoke in maybe the three or four days prior to his decision that Illinois was definitely in it. I actually tweeted at a North Carolina fan that I thought he was going to go to Illinois um, prior to his decision. So there was definitely some smoke there between those two schools. I do feel like those were his top two. I, I don't think that Tech was truly a contender there, but it's good for Baylor, right? And good for Baylor fans that we don't have to sit there and watch Matthew Meyer play uh, at Texas Tech, whereas Tech fans have to watch Kevin McCuller play at Kansas, which um, that's just such a bummer and such a tough thing, especially when a guy's played at your school for four years. I mean, he's so ingrained into the Baylor culture. So I think Illinois is going to be a great spot for him. They're going to allow him to play with a lot of freedom and I think really get possibly the best out of Matthew Meyer. But we'll see. It's going to be up to him to develop and become uh, a better player than he was this past season. So good for both sides. I'm happy for Matt, and I'm very happy for Baylor because getting Adam Flagler back makes this team a legit national title contender once again. Yes, uh, it does. So uh, Matthew Meyer off to Illinois, Adam Flagler back in Waco, and uh, we also saw where uh, just today uh, Gonzaga and Baylor uh, announcing a neutral site game uh, for next season. They'll play on Friday, December the 2nd. Uh, Baylor and Gonzaga matching up once again. And so uh, that ought to be a little bit of fun. It'll be a neutral site location uh, for the game. So before you go like, oh, are they playing in Waco? Are they playing? You know, no, uh, it's going to be neutral site uh, between these two. And uh, I just had the information in front of me, and now I can't find it anywhere uh, as far as the neutral site. And like it's South Dakota yeah, or something random? Yeah, it's uh, Sanford Pentagon. Sanford Pentagon. South Dakota. So, yeah, that's where they're going to be playing. I was just talking to Jack about this and Garrett that felt like that was a weird location yeah. for this game. But uh, it'll be fun nonetheless, right? I mean, these two teams finally get to play each other in the regular season. Uh, they're supposed to play in 2021 in the regular season. That did not happen. So I'm excited for this. this that's going to be a true test. Uh, December, was it December 3rd or December 2nd? So, yeah, it'll be very exciting. It's in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Yeah, so fun matchup to look forward to. A random place to go. If you're ever trying to check South Dakota off your bucket list, I guess it's a prime opportunity give you a reason to go out there uh, to the Sanford Pentagon. Uh, but Gonzaga and Baylor, that now announced as well. So a lot going on uh, with hoops, even though it's prime offseason right now and the transfer portal starting to kind of come to a slow drip. Uh, but, you know, now Matthew Myers' decision's out of the way. you got Flagler's decision. What, what else is out there for them now at this point? That's it. Yeah, their I guess that's about it. Yeah, their roster's full now, and uh, this is the squad they're going to be rolling with into the season, and it's a – it's a dang good one. This team is, they're going to be very, very good. Um, obviously, you know, not having everyday John for looks like a large part of the season kind of hurts, but at least they get Flo Thamba back. So they have some veteran experience down low. The additions of Loner and Bridges as well will give them some depth in the front court. All right. So there's basketball. Everything now settled in for them and their roster for next season. You've got, um, Steve Rodriguez out in baseball, so nothing really set for them next season. And who knows with the roster and the transfer portal these days, like what that looks like. And 
Uh, that's all to be figured out here over the next few weeks. Uh, elsewhere, you know, track and field continuing on. Sent a lot of people to the national championships in Eugene here in a couple of weeks. Um, but then football-wise, you know, it's prime off season for football. I know there's recruiting constantly going on, but we did uh, get to find out some information on football last week with the release of some of their game announcements, uh, some of their TV times and uh, TV networks for uh, the first, uh, you know, three weeks of the season and then uh, some of their Big 12 contests as well. And uh, there were some things of interest there. First of all, they're going to be opening up, uh, what, it's 6 o'clock against Albany on uh, and Baylor football needs to update their page, actually. Uh, but uh, they need to, uh, or uh, they will open up, I should say, Against Albany, Saturday, September the 3rd, 6 o'clock. That will be an ESPN Plus broadcast. Uh, we remember what happened when they opened up with ESPN Plus last year. Uh, wasn't the greatest thing in the world. And uh, thankfully, this game will be in Waco. So they'll have the Baylor Vision crew or whatever that will be handling that. And they've got a lot of experience with that. So uh, Albany, 6 o'clock. At least that'll cool it off somewhat. It'll still be hot as you know, all get out, but uh, better than playing, I guess, at, you know, noon or something like that against Albany. Uh, and that should make for a, a fairly breezy, relaxing, and enjoyable Saturday night to open the season for Baylor fans. Yeah, I love the night game for that first game. I think that's really a better atmosphere uh, to start the season. So, yeah, they'll take on Albany. That should be an easy win at 6 p.m. ESPN Plus, you know, can be hit or miss, but at least this one's at home and it's not, you know, Texas State filming it. So, yeah, I think it'll be fine. Following week uh, at BYU be 9.15 Central Time. That's an ESPN broadcast, so... Late night. Getting a late Saturday night, uh, almost packed 12 after dark-ish. Uh, but that's on main ESPN and on the road in Provo. Uh, so that'll be an interesting preview of the uh, future Big 12. Uh, Saturday, September 17th, like I said, the first three weeks announced. FS1, uh, 11 a.m. Central. It'll be Texas State uh, in Waco. Uh, then they also announced October the 13th, the Thursday night game at West Virginia. So Thursday night in Morgantown, that'll be an FS1 6 o'clock kickoff. And then uh, Texas, that game announced as Black Friday. Uh, no kickoff time uh, released just yet, uh, but that will be either an ESPN or an ABC broadcast. So you would think that uh, if things go well for the Bears and the Longhorns, that'll shape up to be a really big game on Black Friday, which is why we haven't probably seen a time released and they're you know still figuring things out. But uh, either ESPN or ABC, so that one on a platter to be a pretty big broadcast when the time does come and both teams can take care of their business. So there you go, five games announced. Uh, Black Friday now against Texas. Thursday night, national broadcast against West Virginia. And then... Um, yeah, ESPN Plus to open the year, and then ESPN Saturday late night BYU and FS1 Saturday Texas State. So uh, exciting to get some of the some of the scheduling out there. Yeah, the nine fifteen game is really intriguing. I can't remember the last time Baylor played a game that late. Um, I'm trying to remember the maybe the uh, Cactus Bowl. They've barely gone out to the West Coast. Right. I mean, so they they haven't done it often. Yeah. So a late night game there. I think that'll be cool though on ESPN second week of the year. I mean that that sets up to be a really good game. Hopefully BYU is able to be ranked by then. Um, I kind of have a feeling they will be, and that that's going to be a, a marquee game. And hopefully Baylor isn't sluggish with that late night time. Uh, 11 a.m. against Texas State. It's going to be hot. <laughs> going to be really, really hot for that game. But 
again, 11 a.m., that kind of makes sense for a game against Texas State. And, then, of course, we knew the West Virginia game was going to be a night game, so no surprise there on a Thursday night. And that's going to be a really tricky one in Morgantown for a Thursday night. Anything can happen when you go on the road to West Virginia, especially on a Thursday night. Things can get a little weird, as it did a few years ago here in 2019 for a Thursday night game against West Virginia. Yep, so uh, exciting to see that all get released. We've still got about six weeks till Big 12 Media Days, and so there will be a slow trickle of news between now and then, and then that's when we'll really start to kind of turn the corner to counting down the season. But uh, in the meantime, plenty of recruiting and, uh, you know, just everything, football, basketball, baseball coaching search, all that over on Sikkim365.com right now and uh, continuing on over the next well, till there is no more second365.com is what we do on a daily basis. Uh, so anything, Grayson, before we go into the mailbag here? No, I, don't, I think we pretty much covered it all. Exciting yeah. week. A lot going on. Uh, Flagler back, Rod out, um, you know, football game times. Yeah, there's, there's quite a bit going on, and uh, it's, it's enjoyable. Uh, but let's start off with Alpha Needle here with the BearCast questions, who asks, which Big 12 football coaches are on the hot seat and in danger of losing their job if they have a bad 2022 season? Yeah, I think the first one's Neil Brown. Uh, he can't have another bad year at West Virginia. I don't even know what a bad year entails. I think if he misses a bowl, he probably can't survive that. So, I mean, especially if expectations, like we got asked, what, a couple weeks ago about them being a 10-win team. So, clearly, the fan base has unreasonable expectations. So, I think he probably needs to win seven games, at least make a bowl to keep his job. Um, Steve Sarkeesian has to make a bowl. Has to. I think he's getting fired if he's not making a bowl. But, again, I think they will. And then the other one that's interesting to me, and he can kind of go either way as we're going to talk about in the next question, but I don't think Chris Kleiman cannot make a bowl. Like, I think this team's too good to not make a bowl appearance, and I think they will, but I think he would be on the hot seat and maybe lose his job if they went 5-7 and seven or 4-8. and eight. Um, For me, I think the only one that's realistic is Neil Brown. Uh, I think that one's become pretty clear over the last couple of years of they're just sort of in no man's land, sort of the middle ground. They've had some highs, but they've also had a bunch of lows. They had the mass exodus in the transfer portal, and then they managed to stop the bleeding by hiring Graham Harrell, but really by getting JT Daniels out of the portal. And basically they're pinning all of their hopes on JT Daniels, making them like some 10-win team or whatever. And I know some of it's just West Virginia fans joking around. Some of it's not. Uh, they're on that that moonshine a little early, I guess, because he's good. He's not, th- you know, good enough to turn them into like the Big Twelve champs, in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, I think Neil Brown's got to show a little something this year, and it's it's more than just making a bowl game. You got to like actually go out and do something, uh, because you know, hanging your hat on just bowl games these days that can be a bit misleading. So. Uh, yeah, I think Neil Brown's got something to prove. He doesn't have to go win like nine games, but I think he's got to win like seven or eight and, you know, not eke out a, a postseason invitation. Um, and then the other two you mentioned, I think just with Kansas State, though, you know, on Chris Kleiman, I get that they're just kind of there, but um, – I mean, what are your options? Like, there's there comes a point when you got to be realistic about who you are. And so if you're Kansas State, I mean, you could want more at this point from Chris Kleiman, although I think, you know, injuries, obviously Skylar Thompson, that probably derailed a couple of wins off their schedule the last couple of years. And if you look at it that way, well, they're all of a sudden like, hey, they're actually kind of okay. Uh, so I think their records have been a little bit misleading because of, of that quarterback problem in particular. Uh, but now you got uh, Martinez back there, which that'll be an adventure uh, if he's anything like his Nebraska self. 
So, you know, I could see where you're coming from, but I just think, like, what's your other option, K-State? You know, like, what else are you going to go get that's going to be any better than this guy? I think they're at a point where they just got to be patient for a little while and just grind away and just slowly but surely get better. Uh, so that's just my take on that. Who was the other one you said? Oh, the other one was um, Steve Sarkeesian, if they don't make a bowl. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine them not making a bowl game again. But if again. they don't, yeah, I mean, Yeah, I guess so, yeah. But I just I think two years would off, uh, you know, be a pretty quick trigger as well. Uh, and at some point, if you're Texas, like, you got to be realistic, too. If you went and made a big move to go get Steve freaking Sarkeesian from Alabama when he was at the highest of highs uh, as far as when you hired him, I mean, and then you dump him after two years because he's not showing up progress. Like, what are you really planning on doing with your program? So I could see that because it's Texas, but I also think that would be kind of a, a quick trigger. But it's interesting. I, I think the, the main one, though, we can all agree is Neil Brown. He's the one that's that's facing the most pressure this year. I'll also ask, conversely, which Big 12 coaches are most at risk to leave their teams to the NFL or a better program after a successful 2022 season. Yeah, I mean, if Lance Leipold goes and wins four or five games, I think someone might hire him. So he's one. Uh, Mike Gundy definitely has to be one. He is every year. But if he has another year like last year, it's going to be hard for a big program to not take a, a shot on him in my mind, even though it does seem like he's kind of been... They haven't well, for 20 years, though. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, mean, yeah, but I do think he's at risk. Uh, you know, I, I know Baylor fans won't like to hear this, but Dave Aranda, if he makes a college football playoff, I think he's at risk. Um, and then Chris Kleiman, if he has a great year, I think he could move on from Kansas State, kind of like you said. K-State doesn't have a lot of options, but Kleiman might if he has a really good year and finishes, you know, top three in the conference. Yeah, I think uh, that's all possible. Um, yeah, I don't I don't see any, you know, I mean, I think Aranda obviously will be mentioned, but I, I don't know the coaching carousel will be as wacky as it was last year. I mean, that was an unprecedented year with like 10 jobs opening up that, you know, otherwise would probably have been spread out over two or three seasons. Uh, we got like five seasons worth of coaching high-profile changes. So, yeah, I mean, I think those names make sense, but um, – a little too early to know just who all is going to be open uh, at this point. And uh, without that, you don't know like, oh, well, that's a Michigan guy right there. or that's a. But, yeah, I mean, I think those names you mentioned are all uh, certainly candidates to, uh, to get poached away or to at least have you know, people come at them. Bear Coog, first, if you could take one player from another team's 2022 Big 12, Big 12 2022 football team roster, who would it be and why? Yeah, I think I'm going to go with Bijan. Uh, Robinson at Texas. I know Baylor's got squirrel, but Bijan's just a, a different animal. That's on the offensive side. Defensively, probably Travis Hodges Tomlinson, um, just to give them an elite cornerback opposite out Walcott. Uh, yeah, Bijan would be great. Uh, that'd be really nice. Uh, defensively, um, I don't know. I'd have to kind of scour around the league. I mean, they could definitely use a def you know a defensive back. Um, they don't really need D line all that much. Uh, linebacker, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't even know who's on half the teams at this point right now because of the transfer portal. Like, I need yeah. a refresher. I need like a set of notes next to me. Like, who's on Oklahoma's team now? Because there's been yeah. so much back and forth. But yeah, I mean, Trey Trey's a good player. Um, He's a little bit undersized, but he's been able to make that work for himself on this level. I'm interested to see without, you know, a Gary Patterson defense, kind of what he looks like. But yeah, he'd be a he'd be a good candidate. Um, outside of that, I'm just trying to think if anybody just immediately jumps to mind, and I think nobody Quentin, really does. I think Quentin Johnston maybe on the offense yeah. side. He's probably many people 
probably athletically would put him as the best receiver in the league. Him, Marvin Mims, but I think Marvin's more of a scheme thing than Quentin. Xavier Worthy would be great. Yeah, uh, that'd be awesome. That'd be, you know, yeah. two of Texas's guys. Th- those would probably be good picks. Uh, but, yeah, don't worry too much about the defensive side, except for maybe in the secondary. You'd, you'd like to add a star. Um, yeah, it's safety. I would love to, but the league is just not very deep with safeties, honestly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like Bijan, Xavier Worthy, somebody explosive offensively would probably be the, the best bet. Um, thank you for the question. Uh, oh, also, second, what do you think about TCU not being selected to host a baseball regional this year while Texas and OSU do, but finished fifth and fourth in the Big 12 respectfully? I get that RPI rating is used, but winning your conference outright versus finishing fifth should carry some weight. Uh, no, it should not when uh, not when the disparity is this great. TCU was 37th in RPI. That is middle of the road, whereas Texas was 15th and Oklahoma State was 10th. I, I just I don't even think TCU has a case. I know they won the conference, but they won it by one game over Oklahoma State and two games over Texas, and their body of work is just not even comparable in the non-conference. So, yeah, I just I, I don't view them as getting slighted at all uh, for regional hosting. I think Oklahoma State definitely deserves it, and I can understand why Texas deserved it in the long run, finishing top 15, like I said, in RPI. AF Blue 82, given where we are, thank you, Bear Coog, with uh, the 2023 class, do you expect more emphasis on 2024 with the upcoming camps, or do you think we'll see a fair number of new 2023 offers? Yeah, I mean, they're in a good spot in 2023, but I do think you'll see some offers go out. I think that Baylor's going to try to focus on finding some hidden gems, getting some guys on campus who will, you know, test and and put true testing numbers on display while also getting to meet the staff because that's a big thing for this Baylor staff is getting to know the players that they're offering. So I think there could be quite a few offers in 2023 go out. Uh, but like it always is, the class you know coming up, the next class is usually the one that gets hit by the most offers. So yeah, you, you'll probably see more in 2024, but I do think you'll see an emphasis still in 2023. Scotty B now with Adam Flagler coming back. Would y'all say Baylor men's basketball is the favorite for the Big 12 over Kansas next year? No doubt. I, I think they are definitely the favorite. I do think Kansas will probably be the second team, but I think you could probably convince me that they're maybe third. Um, so, But e- either way, I, I think Baylor's the favorite to win it all, and I think they're probably going to be the only team in the preseason top ten. Who would you say was second then if they're third? Texas. I think that – but it's just like in football. They have a lot of talent. They got a high ceiling. They got you know, Tyrese Hunter is there now, the the talented kid from Iowa State. So I think he's going to make them a lot better. Um, it'd be hard to pick against Kansas. I understand that. But there's some firepower there. Tech will probably be competitive as well because they got a good culture. Yeah, and they've also hit the transfer portal pretty hard as well. So I know they've lost some, but they've gained some as well. So, um, you know, yeah, I, I don't think they're going to be going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, so those seem like pretty safe bets. Yeah, but I, again, I don't think any of them will be top 10 outside. Of, I think Baylor's going to be top five preseason, but I, I don't think anyone else will be in the top 10 unless they do the whole, you know, Kansas is for sure going to win 30 games, which I understand they do every year. So maybe they'll get that bump. Tyler Bear, what in your mind would be a successful football season? Last year, most of us thought just getting back to a bowl, six and six would be considered a success and eight wins or better would be amazing considering just the two wins the prior year. No question the bar is much higher this year to start the season, but with road games at BYU, Texas, OU, Iowa State, Tech, and West Virginia, it is a monumental task for certain to replicate last year's 12-2 and record. 
Yeah, I think eight and four is a successful year. I think uh, looking at the schedule, it's tough. Baylor's got a really good team. They need to take advantage of that. But anything less than eight and four would be a, a, a little bit of a disappointment. But, you know, eight and four, that's a good number. That's a good year. You get a chance to go nine and four. You get an opportunity to have a really nice second season to go in a row. Um, so, yeah, eight and four is successful in my mind. That's what I would say. I mean, you, I mean, because of the schedule, if uh, the schedule is a little more favorable, I think you could, you know, push nine win season. Uh, I do not think they can win nine, ten games again. But uh, yeah, I mean, just seems because of what they're facing, and you know, Thursday night game on the road, and Friday night game on the road, and it's just late night Saturday night game on the road. Uh, it's it's not it's not you know. A beneficial schedule for them but if they get through it then there's not going to be anything denying you know how good or how tough they are that's for sure but yeah I'd say eight and four like seven and five that just sounds like a down year I mean it really does and it wouldn't necessarily be because they're you know again playing a really tough schedule but uh, to go from 12 and two to, to seven and five yeah that would be kind of a tough pill to swallow they'd be like Iowa State top 10 preseason and then you have all these expectations and you go seven and five that was Iowa State's thing this year so that's yeah I think that would be disappointing yeah difference being that uh, Baylor's actually accomplished something oh, from one of those preseason rankings uh, what they did last year Iowa State wishes uh, they could come close to to doing uh, but yeah you're right uh, let's see uh, so yeah we both say eight and four on that one uh, Edmund Barry what do you think of this article that lists Baylor as the 13th most desirable university in the U.S. it's from like Fox 7 Austin uh, TCU and Tech nowhere to be found UT A&M and Houston are ranked ahead of us Harvard and other Ivies are lower why is um, what is this it's just I think he just wants our thoughts on it being 13th and then ask the IPA question after yeah, I don't know what the IPA yeah, is. Like, okay. Uh, why do some people hate IPAs and some love them? Edit history. Added a question mark because I was an idiot the first time. So, Edmund, I don't know where we are with this thing, man. You're talking about IPAs one second. And, yeah. and so I, 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 I'm having trouble following. But as far as that article that you reference and, and our thoughts on Baylor being 13th most desirable in the U.S., uh, what do you think? Yeah, I can totally understand that. I mean, I went to Baylor over, like, a TCU. Um, so, I mean, I, I totally get it. I really, you know, Baylor's a great school. I think TCU is a better school than Houston, though, as far as desirable. I'm kind of, I guess, the desirable term is kind of an interesting uh, term to use. But I understand, like, Baylor's a great school. People that go to Baylor love Baylor. Um, so I totally understand it. UT and AM, very good schools as well. You know, good places to be. Everyone that goes there seems to love their school as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that it, it's a good spot to be. And I think being in, in Texas as well is a great perk. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, not surprising that uh... – you know, they kind of fall somewhere in the middle, I guess, so to speak. But, yeah, I mean, Baylor's got a beautiful campus. And, um, you know, there's it, it really depends on who you ask. Like, everybody looks for everything different. So when I see these lists, it's like, who are we basing this off of? Are we basing this off of this person's opinion? Or are we basing it off of, like, different rankings? Are we basing it off? So it's in the eye of the beholder. But, yeah, I think that's respectable enough and, and not really uh, a too surprising of a ranking. So, uh, I'm not sure about the IPAs again, um, but do appreciate you, Edmund, for uh, asking. And, and I don't know, like Harvey, Harvard and Ivy Leagues being lower, like cause clearly this is not educational. This right. is uh, like beauty and things of that nature type of a list. But, uh, yeah, uh, I'm thinking I was out of tech for a while or like out in Lubbock for a while, and it's an okay campus. Like it's it's fine. It's pretty enough. It's just very far out there. 
It's very far out there. And then TCU, there's a little Kinta jokes uh, all yeah. the time. But uh, it's got some some nice parts. Dickey's Arena is great. Uh, that is one of the better things that's going on in Fort Worth at the moment. Uh, so, yeah, just eye of the beholder, but uh, that's that's respectable enough, Edmund. AF Blue 82, so with Steve Rodriguez stepping down, how long do you think it will take to name a replacement? And in the world of transfer portal and NIL, is it possible for us to build a contender overnight with the right hire? Full transparency, I have no idea where we are in the recruiting calendar, nor do I know what the our, un, our incoming class looks like. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's probably going to take a year for a year or two for them to be a true contender for like a, a super regional or a national championship. I think there's some pieces, but they definitely need to add some talent to this roster. So I don't think it'll be overnight, even if they get the right hire. But I do think they can make progress next year, you know, make a regional next season and possibly compete in future seasons. So um, we'll see who they end up hiring. I'm excited for it. In baseball, you can turn things around with just getting a few good players here or there, getting the right fits for your team. Um, so if this new coach can do that and bring a really good attitude um, to the locker room, I think there's a chance that they could get back to where they were in 2019 sooner rather than later. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to take a little bit of time um, to to get this thing off the ground, but it doesn't have to take you know a full break down, rebuild, build it up, like lengthy process. I mean, I think you get the right guy in because of the transfer portal. You can you can find some players pretty quickly. I mean, I don't know what the selections are, though. It's not like the football transfer portal or basketball. I don't know who's – like, I don't know what first baseman's like the best in the transfer portal right now or any of that jazz. Uh, so I, I don't know, you know, what all talent's out there. But if it's anything like the other sports, you think somebody with a good idea and good head on their shoulders and a good plan, that's the thing is, like, who has a great plan for, for how to get the program kind of out of the, you know, the basement, so to speak – uh, and who can I go and identify and, and pick guys pretty quickly to, to, you know, load up however they need to. Like, who's on the roster next season right now? Like, yeah. you know, he just stepped down, got fired, whatever, 24 hours ago. So I don't know what the roster looks like. I don't know what the recruiting calendar looks like. Those are all things that uh, I'll need to, to learn a bit. But uh, I don't see any reason why the right person can't come in and, and improve things pretty much right away. Now, as far as winning titles, that's going to take a little bit more time. That's yeah. fair. Yeah, that's fair for sure. Uh, all right, uh, text Bam eighty one, longtime listener, first time posting. If all other personnel and schemes remain the same going into twenty twenty two football, coaches, players, etc., but you have Seth Russell, RG three, and Bryce Petty on your roster, who is QB one, two, and three? RG three is definitely QB one. I that's not even a conversation for me. I would probably say that in this scheme, I, I think it'd probably be Seth Russell than Bryce Petty, even though. I, I, that's a tough one, honestly, for me. But I think Seth's legs give him an advantage in this scheme. So, yeah, I'll go RG3, Seth, and Bryce. Um, I'll take RG3, I'll take Bryce, and then I'll go Seth. Uh, Seth does, you know, have the better legs, but are we going to leave him running a whole lot given the, the history there? Um, yeah, he could run, but I, I don't know. I feel like they wouldn't have to run the quarterback nearly as much if they had a guy who could slice and dice you with his arm. You yeah. know, and I think Petty could – could sit back there and do pretty well uh, throwing the pigskin around. Yeah, my only issue with him is pocket presence, the ability to avoid sacks in the pocket, which seems like something they really need in this offense, or it seems like the guys they've picked have had that quality at least. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's um, tomato, tomato. I, I don't think you could go wrong, but RG3 is definitely number one. I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. If you ever, Whoever you want to go with, Bryce or Seth, after that, like, 
I don't think anybody's going to argue uh, to each their own. But uh, I'll go I'll go Petty and then Russell. Although yeah, Russell's legs do do make him pretty intriguing. Um, that's three great quarterbacks. That's that's for sure. And Tex, uh, thanks for the first time question and uh, do appreciate you and hopefully we hear from you again doc crowd do we still see a jump in football recruiting this coming year if we only perform decently rather than fighting for a big 12 championship i think so i think there's a culture that's built here i i think again eight and four you're doing just fine you win nine games you're feeling really good if you can win the bowl game and um yeah they'll still be able to use it again it's more of a culture that oh yeah we're gonna be here we're gonna be winning uh, at a high level every single year. And yeah, maybe you can't win 12 games every single year, but I, I think, uh, you know, eight, nine win season will definitely be just fine for them to have that nice little recruiting bump and be, you know, inside uh, right around that top 25 point, which is where they need to be. Edmund Bear, will Texas Tech under Joey McGuire's leadership win 12 <laughs> games this year? Will they disappoint with only 11 wins? Yeah, they're not getting close to either of those numbers. So I guess they're disappointing. Uh, if they make a bowl, I would be, you know, I. Not shocked. I, I mean, they, they made a bowl a last bowl. year. <laughs> yeah, I think they can make a bowl, but I'm not sure they're going to do much better than that. I mean, I'm definitely banking on them making a bowl game. They better damn well make a bowl game. This ain't a teardown that he's taking over out there. I mean, they've got basically a majority of their roster back plus transfer portal, so I don't see a, a teardown to where you're like, well, if we make a bowl game, that would be great. I think that would have to be like automatic. Yeah, you make a bowl game. If you made a bowl game last year, there's no reason you shouldn't make a bowl game this year in my mind. Yeah, I mean, they do return a lot, but I, I still think it's hard to win in this conference as a first-year head coach. And, I, I mean, I don't think well, it's going to be easy okay, on my point, six games. I don't think it's easy, but I think like six wins isn't the hardest thing in the world to do. I, I don't think – I guess I'm just coming from – I don't see a bowl game as like – this unattainable benchmark that's like really hard to accomplish and maybe I'm just downplaying it too much but you gotta win six games uh, I think I think they can find six I mean I'm saying it because I have confidence in Joey McGuire if they don't win six games next year then I that to me that would be with all this offseason of hype that would be disappointing to me as a tech fan but yeah, I can see where that's a little, I guess, questionable for a first-year guy. I mean, they got to play Houston and at NC State in the non-con. So there's a great chance they're one and two in, in the non-conference. And then you got to go into conference play, and are, are they going to win six games and get to set? They're not winning six games. I don't think they're going six and three in conference to get to seven wins. So if they go four and five in conference and say they go one and two in the non-con, they're five and – I think it might be kind of difficult. I really do with with not having two cupcakes. Um, I don't know. I, I think it might be a little tougher than, than many may think. I think they'll probably go six and six, but five and seven would not be shocking me at all. Well, uh, I don't know about shocking or not, but I, I'd be surprised if they did not make a bowl game and win six games. I mean, they should be uh, – they'll get at least one game in the first three, if not a couple – uh, and then after that, if you can find four, Kansas, okay, there's three that you need. If you can find three somewhere, um, then then you can get there. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's a barometer necessarily. But I, I would be surprised. I think it, I think you should be absolutely uh, thinking that you're making a bowl game if last year's team made a bowl game. RG four, which of the young safeties do you see developing into the turnover creator for the defense? Can they step in and make a real impact this season? Yeah, I mean, I, I continue to talk about Devin Lemire as a guy who I think can create turnovers in the secondary. 
And, you know, him and Devin Neal are going to have to do that. But I just see some upside with Lemire uh, as an opportunistic defender who can make some plays back there. It won't be to the level of JT Woods in my my eyes, especially not this early in his career. Um, but he's a guy who can force fumbles, uh, is always in the right place, it seems like, to get interceptions. He did that a lot in high school. Um, and I just I, I saw it on his film in high school. I see him as a guy that can create those turnovers that Dave Aranda wants. And so he's a guy that's definitely uh, on my radar to be that creator in the secondary. Yeah, um, he's a guy that's received a lot of hype so far. So I'm, I'm banking on him being one of the guys that we're talking about quite a bit. Uh, but it is a question mark back there, corners and safeties. I no mean, doubt. Al Walcott, you kind of feel good about, but, you know, he's got to continue improving. And then after that, it's, uh, yeah, just a lot of young, unproven, but maybe have flash type of guys. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, but, yeah, Devin Neal certainly seems like a, a good candidate. On a scale of 1 to 10, what is your confidence level in the cornerback room for the 22-23 season? Who are the starters week one? So we're – that's not next year, right? Is that a year – No, next year's the 22-23 season. 22-23. Oh, okay, okay. We're so in 22 right gotcha, now. Gotcha, gotcha. Right, 22-23. So, yeah, I'll go – I mean, Al Walcott and probably Mark Milton. Yeah. One. I mean, I – it's hard to figure that it that will those won't be the starters week one. As far as confidence level, who I'm probably at a at a six, maybe a five, probably a five. The, it, it, I like the young guys, but it's hard because you know Mark's played a lot of football, so he's probably going to start. Al had great moments, especially at the end of the year, but I don't know that I'm sold entirely on what they have out there as far as being all conference level, but I think they can be solid and solid to me is right around a five or six. Yeah. I mean, I got to go Walcott Milton on the starters. Uh, there's not even really a great candidate to be the second starter in my mind after Walcott. Cause it's all just unproven guys at this point uh, or young guys. So those are kind of by default and that decision was made when they both decided to return. I'm not sure how much of a choice they both really had, but they both made announcements that they were returning. So, yeah, I expect those to be the guys, and then uh, just a lot of unproven behind that. But I'd say I, I give him a six on confidence level. I feel pretty good about the way Walcott ended next uh, last year, and if he can you know, build off that, then I think he's got a chance to be a guy that we talk a lot about. Uh, Mark Milton's not going to be a headliner, but he's been steady. Uh, he's been very steady. Um, he'll probably be the guy that gets picked on more often than not next year, kind of like Raleigh Tejada was at times. Uh, but I, I think, you know, he's played a lot of football. Uh, I have more questions about beyond that. I know there's talent, but I just don't know that we've seen very much of it just yet. So starters-wise, I'll, I'll go six for confidence level. Yeah, and I, I would just say don't be surprised if one of the young guys emerges as a starter by the end of I'd the year. I'd hope so. Like a Tevin Williams or a Reggie Bush, um, maybe even an A.J. McCarty. I just think there could be someone that steps up and, and steps into that role and potentially takes over a starting role from Mark Milton. Even though Mark will play, I think that they rotate enough that a young guy could come in and emerge. Well, uh, Walcott took a starting job by the end of the year yep. um, from from vets, so that wouldn't be you know anything brand new, and and you would kind of hope to even see that because you know Walcott and Milton will both be gone after next year, and then you're starting from anew with the the cornerbacks group. So big change over in the, the defensive backs. You got at least the veterans for these last few years, and still have a little bit of that. But now, I mean, you really are get into a whole new era of the defensive backs. We'll see that safety primarily this year and in corner as well. But, uh, yeah, that's going to be kind of the, the last. Once Milton moves on, that's going to be like the last run of the defensive back group that played for like 17 years in Waco. 
Barnes yeah. and Tejada <laughs> and Woods and Morgan and all those guys. So uh, should be interesting. But y'all go six on the on the corners. That is still a bit of a question mark. And that will be uh, the last question. Thank you to RG Four for asking that about the uh, the safeties uh, creating turnovers and then also about the confidence in the cornerback room. Some great questions this week covering a lot of ground, and uh, we do appreciate it. Grayson, anything before we go here? No, I don't think so. I think this was uh, another fun week to talk about some of these sports and great questions. I mean, it was a, a lot of fun with these questions. We had, a, we had a good list. So if you haven't posted a question before, please do. We love responding to these. And if you already do, just keep on doing what you're doing. Yep, I uh, definitely appreciate everybody that listens. Uh, hopefully we keep you entertained for the hour or so that we're with you and uh, informed as well, covering all the different news and notes, and certainly there was a lot of that this week. Great news on Adam Flagler. Uh, exciting news that there's just something new on the horizon for baseball. Best wishes to Steve Rodriguez. Uh, he was here for several years, and I know a lot of people who got to know him that really enjoyed him. Uh, and I, you know, from the outside looking in, thought he was a, a nice enough guy and, you know, wish him luck uh, with wherever he goes next. But uh, hopefully Mac Rhodes can find the right guy to, to bring some excitement to Baylor baseball once again. So that process has begun. And uh, until next time, uh, we'll fill you in. Uh, when we next talk to you and on the boards, there will be a lot of discussion about the baseball search and everything that comes with that. So stay tuned to Sikkim 365 com at Sikkim 365 Radio. Thanks to Garrett and Jack behind the scenes. For Grayson Grunhafer, I'm Craig Smoke, and this has been the Bearcast on Sikkim 365.